saw a couple of people go in the nursery and a couple out in the vestibule. It looked like we had about 119, 120 people here. I do appreciate you for braving the, the weather. And several of you drove from the outlying areas. Uh, Brother and Sister Armato drove from a couple of states over. You know, they live way down in Barneville. <laughs> and uh, we're going to be considerate of time. And I'm not going to teach the lesson tonight because uh, if we went, if the children went in their classrooms, we'd have a very uh, low attendance. But I do want to talk with you briefly about commitment. And uh, I may teach this again Sunday night. That is the lesson using some things that I want to talk about tonight. You may be seated. And we'll just dismiss uh, our uh, praise singers and orchestra. Praise God. I don't know. Uh, how many of you had trouble getting in, but if you drove any place, if you came in a car, you probably had trouble. <clears throat> the truth of the matter is, I came from around the corner, and unless I go home shortly and if things continue as they are, uh, the road will be closed. There was a big, tall drift. I, I don't know if you, Brother Moran, if you came down Felon Road or not, but it, there's a big drift, and uh, I could not hardly see the road. Now, when I got out here, there's some lights which helped somewhat. But uh, uh, we're not going to keep you very long, but uh, I, I do want to talk on the theme of caring. And uh, uh, i got a few things that I want to make mention of, some things that I am highly concerned about. Uh, first, uh, I would like to, to share with you a letter that I got from uh, the Foreign Missions Department. I received this. It was uh, uh, one letter is dated... February 8th, and the other one's January 9th. I think they all came together. But uh, on February 24th, we will be receiving, this is on our Sunday evening service, uh, a very special offering for compassion services. Now let me explain what compassion services is all about. Um, several years ago, we, at one of our general conferences, we had some national disaster in some foreign land. I don't even remember now what it was. But uh, they had uh, a lot of flooding or uh, earthquake or something. I, I just don't remember what the situation was. But someone stood up on our conference floor in a business session and, and said, uh, you know, it's... Uh, Regretful that we do not have uh, some type of funds that we can send to our people, and not only to our people, but people of the world who are suffering. A lot of churches do this, and they do it on a you know a wholesale basis. Uh, so we took up a special offering. We were amazed when people started giving how much money was given. And most of it came from district funds. Our district gave, I think, $1,000. But when we totaled everything up, we had taken up right at a quarter of a million dollars. Now you have to keep in mind we have several thousand preachers there and uh, several different uh, functions taking place in each district, such as youth and home missions and Ladies' Auxiliary and Sunday School. And then, of course, the, the general funds of the district. It's, it's not hard with the 
number of districts we have and foreign representatives to, you know, to get a big offering like that. Right after that, uh, we had the hurricane that came through, uh, I think, through Jamaica, wasn't it? And finally, it, it came on the shoreline and went inland somewhere around uh, Charleston, South Carolina. We had a lot of homes and churches destroyed there. I think this was the first time that we used the funds, but funds began to come in, and we were able to rebuild a lot of churches and send relief to a lot of our own saints. We've helped people in Ethiopia, unlike some of the other funds that are taken uh, up by churches and sent to governments, we decided we would not send the funds to governments because many times the, they never reach the people. So we put them in the hands of our missionaries so that they can go give the funds directly to the individuals that have a need. Not much red tape involved. <clears throat> of course, there's no administrative cost involved. It's just something that we, uh, we have desired to do. Since this has started, we've helped people in many, many countries. We were able to help, as I said, in Jamaica, several of the uh, Leeward Islands and Windward Islands, Mexico, uh, especially in, in some of the drought-stricken uh, countries of, of Africa. We've been able to help a lot of people, not just necessarily our own people, but... Uh, people outside of our of our own denomination or our own uh, church. But uh, naturally, the first priority is helping our own people. The Bible teaches us to do that, that a brother or sister in the church should, should receive priority if he has a need over someone who is not serving God. The Bible speaks of this. Paul says as much... As we find opportunity to do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. So we want to take care of those. But uh, this is the first time that we have received a letter. And the Foreign Missions Department has presented to our conference uh, this particular date. And we would like for all churches throughout the North American continent and throughout the world who are not presently suffering, to give an offering to help people who are suffering. And uh, this year, I'm pretty sure uh, the funds will be very high. We'll probably get several million dollars. But when you just start dispersing those in countries where great calamities have taken place, it doesn't take long for you to uh, exhaust all the funds. I know that we'll be involved in Youth Week with Brother Meadows, but uh, we I want to go ahead and do this when everybody else is doing it. I just feel that that's necessary. I I have always liked to, to see the whole body cooperate. I think that that's so important. You know, I, I just like to, when I ride, stand here or, or somebody else stands here and, and they re make a request for people to stand, I like for everybody to stand. Uh, when we pray, I like for everybody to pray. I've, I've just never been one, even before I started pastoring. If the preacher said stand, even if I was tired, I stood anyway unless, you know, there was a problem. 
And there have been a couple of times in which I just literally could not stand for health reasons. And that's always understandable. <coughs> so, <coughs> uh, <coughs> took that from the, I took that from the ABS sign up there on Highway. What is that? Uh, Interstate 94, 9094. They always have a good one up there. One of that up there one time says, Our cows are outstanding in their field. <laughs> so. <laughs> I said, Don Moran probably put that up there. <laughs> no comment. <clears throat> but it is, it really is good uh, to develop a cooperative spirit. When we go to camp and work, I like to go there. I like to encourage people to go. I like to do that when everybody else is. It's just, you know, that's just the way it is. There are people that do develop adverse spirits. It doesn't make any difference what everybody else is doing. They want to do something differently. Or if everybody is in agreement, they want to disagree. And that is real, that's a bad habit to get into. So we will be receiving one even though we are in a revival service with Brother Meadows. And bring a special offering. It doesn't make any difference if you feel that your offering is, is insignificant. Bring it anyway. It doesn't make any difference how big or how little your offering is. Bring it. What counts is that you help somebody that's in need. In our Christian stewardship classes, we teach the necessity of helping people that are in need. Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And that is so very, very important. So very, very important. Our uh, church board will meet Sunday morning at 8 o'clock, and I just want to share this with, with the congregation. We'll get on into other things about caring. Uh, we are having some preliminary plans drawn for our church. And then after they're finished, we will need to bring those plans to the congregation for approval so that we can get working plans. I don't foresee us building in the near future, but I'd like to see God send such a revival that we'd have to build in the near future. Certainly we will not build until we're financially able. But uh, we, we, uh, we have such a good, supportive group of people here at Calvary Gospel Church. I made mention of that for this simple reason, that at our annual business meeting, we reported a record income at Calvary Gospel Church. All of our departments together gave in excess of $334,000. We had very low attendance at our business meeting. That's the reason why I want to share it with you. And at the business meeting also, we made this special announcement. And that is that Brother and Sister Crowder, who are full-time in evangelistic work and who served over Section 5 and 6 in our city so ably, have been replaced and we now have Brother and Sister Rutherford who will serve as elders over section 5 and 6. And I'd like for Brother and Sister Rutherford to stand.
These are very important people. His wife is such a beautiful lady. People think she's my twin, and I think you can. No. Let's give them a hand. Would you do that? God bless you. Praise God. I didn't say anything about Brother Rutherford's good looks, but I saw a picture the other day, and I said, this man is as good looking as Brother Rutherford. Yeah, he really was. Actually, I looked real close, and it was you. You were just younger. That was... <laughs> God bless Brother Rutherford. So what we're going to be doing in our board meeting, in addition to the plans, we're also going to be talking about care groups. We have uh, eight sections of our city, and we have elders over the sections. We have two elders serving over two sections. This is what you see in the back just as you come in the door. But uh, we want to take better care of this because we do have uh, people that have needs. We have people who suffer. We have people who have not been assimilated into the body of Christ because they're new and they just don't know how to do that on their own. We've been talking about that, and we want to come up with a better plan to take care of the people here at Calvary Gospel Church. You people are, are wonderful. You're great. And I love you a lot. But I think that there are some areas in which we could do better if we just were pointed in the right direction. And this is what leadership is all about. So we do have a need there. We also have another need, and that is in the area of bus ministry. Uh, and this will be the bulk of my conversation with you tonight. Brother and Sister Anderson are serving in the bus ministry, and they're just very hardworking, committed people. Uh, I love and appreciate these people so very much. And they gave me a list of things that they need. Four categories, co-captain. Uh, this involves a weekly contact with families. Must visit at least two times per month. Need not to uh, be Saturday. In other words, you could do it at your own convenience. I don't like to use the word convenience because it's pretty hard to commit to anything if the commitment is based upon convenience. And that's what I, I really want to talk about. Must ride the bus every Sunday, however, and must have a burden for lost families, lost people. Number two, we need bus drivers. Someone to drive once every three or four weeks. We will need to, you will need to obtain commercial license. They're requiring this of us now. In the past, we could just drive the bus if we have a burden, but now you have to, have to have a burden and you have to have a license. <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> the, the third thing, bus helpers. Uh, people to ride on the bus to help maintain order. Now, this is always necessary when you have a bunch of children because some of them think it's uh, a picnic and some think it's a ball game and some think it's a fight. And, uh, you know, they make it that. They really do. Like the lady from down south, she came north where they played hockey a lot, and she couldn't remember 
anything about it other than them fighting. And this is what she said. She said, I think they took me to a fight and it broke out into a hockey game. <laughs> so, <laughs> but at any rate, <laughs> we need someone to maintain order. And you do this by singing, by praying, by talking and such with the children. In other words, the ministry actually begins when we pick up the children on the bus. It doesn't begin when they come here and they're placed in the Sunday school rooms. Now, this could be every other week or every third week, but nevertheless, we need some bus helpers. And then the fourth category, we need people to knock doors. Knock doors as needed. The bus captains, along with Brother and Sister Anderson, will determine this. Of course, Brother Brother Reagan, we haven't said anything about Brother Reagan, but I wish, wish you would pray for Brother Reagan. You know, his father passed away, and he's in Ohio, and they have his father's funeral tomorrow. Don't let me forget, we'll pray for him before we dismiss tonight. Let's do that. Now, <clears throat> we cannot seek more children until we get help to handle them. So you, you understand what we're talking about. If you commit to knock doors, unless we get commitments in the other areas, we may have to say, You'll just have to wait to knock doors until we get people that can handle them. Now, what I wanted to talk to you about, and I talked with our leaders the other night because I, I see this trend. Most of the people who come to God are won by new converts. There's no doubt about it. There's several reasons. One, and uh, this is probably the greatest reason, that is when you first come to God, you know a lot of people who are not in the church. They're not Christian. They don't know God. They don't profess to know God. So your world basically consists of yourself knowing God along with a whole lot of people who don't. You may know a few people in the church, but naturally your knowledge in that area is usually pretty small. After a while, however, your world begins to change, and you, you learn all the faces of the people in the church. And you know very few people outside of the church. And one of the great curses that comes to an individual is that he turns inwardly and after a while he really doesn't take the time to make friends with anyone other than church people. And the reason why that he does this is because he knows that he has struggles and problems and and uh, if he makes friends with people outside the church, there are demands placed upon him personally, and quite often he has to reject some of the invitations that that uh, he he gets. Uh, me being a minister and living in just a little quiet neighborhood around the corner, uh, knowing all the people in the area, but a lot of those people not really knowing our standard of living. Uh, just the other day, I was going to the mailbox, and my neighbor down below me, a very wealthy man and a good neighbor with good intentions, stopped and and he said, uh, "John, let me let me talk with you." And I went over and he said, uh, "I got a gift for you." And uh, I said, "Oh, how nice!" He said, "Yeah." He said, uh, "Let me stop and open the trunk." And he told me, he "said I've got a quart of uh, I can't even remember now." truth of the matter is, I didn't know what he was talking about. <clears throat> Some kind of liquor that he had. 
So uh, uh, I had to ask him again what he had. And so he said, uh, yeah, he said, it's for you. And he said, uh, uh, I'd like to give it to you. And, you know, I could have said, oh, man. You know, I, I just uh, held my composure and I told him, I said, uh, you know, uh, his name is John, too, John Eckel. I said, you know, John, I've never taken a drink of an alcoholic beverage in my whole life. He says, oh. I said, no. I would have no idea what it tastes like. And I said, rather than say I'm a Christian and I don't drink because Christians don't drink, and uh, you're a Catholic and you do, you know, things like that. No, I, I actually heard people. I, when I was in Bible school, a good friend of mine knocked on a door and and uh, the lady says, he asked her, said, would you come to church? She said, no, I'm Catholic. He says, why, God saves Catholics too. <laughs> Needless to say, she was a little bit irate about the whole situation. So I told him, I said, you know, I've never taken a drink in life. And, and uh, truthfully, I said, uh, no, no one in my family drinks. And I appreciate uh, your thoughtfulness. But uh, I said, uh, you would probably want to give that to someone else because I, I would not drink it. And he says, oh, he said, I'm sorry. I, I hope it didn't offend you. I said, oh, no, it didn't offend me. It didn't offend me at all. In fact, I appreciate you stopping here thinking of me. But uh, I just don't drink and, and I don't care to drink. And he said, you know, he's, he kind of choked up. And he said, my hat's off to you. He said, there are very few people in the world with that kind of discipline. He said, now you have a good day and please don't feel offended. I said, well, I don't feel offended at all. But now, if you're close with people like that, you can understand how that that kind of pressure can get to you. Now, I said, I'm not close to that man. He didn't know. In fact, when we were doing work on the building, he offered his assistance and uh, and did assist us some. He's just a, he's a good man, a good neighbor. But sometimes, see, the curse of the church is that after a while you don't know anyone, and uh, you just only know church people. So as a result, who are you going to ask to come to church? Well, you may ask someone passing by, or knock a door and ask someone. But your greatest influence is on people that you know. The problem, however, is that after a while, see, if you get too close and you try to convert someone, quite often they convert you. So that it, there's a point in a lot of people's life that's really, it's kind of up for grabs. It's, going to, it's, it's who's going to be whose convert. So you really have to watch when you have close fellowship with people that are in the world because sometimes they prevail over Christians and you set out to convert them and you don't convert them. Now, you come to church and you've got a burden. Uh, if you want people to volunteer for uh, ministries where there's a lot of commitment that needs to be made, you can usually get new converts to do it. 
But what happens sometimes to people who've been in the church for a long time, and I, I know this has happened to me, and this is the reason why I'm calling to your attention. I may speak these very same words Sunday night if I teach this lesson. And bring your video equipment, uh, Brother Francis, if you would, Sunday night. You see, what happens, you seem to gravitate toward a ministry that requires the least amount of commitment and work. You know that? Really? Now, I don't want this to be reflective on any particular ministry. I just want to point out something. Uh, there are some ministries that if you're involved in it, they require work and they require commitment. One is a bus ministry. Just, we don't have any ministry in our church that requires more involvement and more work than the bus ministry. Now, we get new converts all the time that say, I want to do this, Brother Graham. I have them all the time. Now, it is, I do not make a practice of just taking brand new people who are in the house of God and putting them out on bus routes. It's even difficult sometimes to put young people. Quite frankly, I have worked a bus route. I know what it's like. My wife and I knocked on the door one day. The lady came and opened the door, and I'm a little hesitant to say this, but I want, to, I want you to hear this. She had absolutely no clothes on. Now, you laugh about that, but we recently had some of our young people, and this happened the same way. So you, you, you understand that we're talking about uh, a lot of involvement, a lot of commitment. And because we have this care ministry, and because that Christians must care in order to be saved, because Jesus Christ cared. And this is a message that we have ingrained in us. Sometimes the commitment and the involvement or the work gets to be too great. And so in order for us to stay saved, we like to gravitate toward another ministry that requires less commitment and less involvement. What's happening is that you see, when you care about people and you commit yourself to a ministry like this, you are always emitting to people. Things are leaving you. Like Jesus felt power, virtue, come from him when the woman touched the hem of his garment. That strength and energy is constantly pulled from you in some ministries. After a while... If you don't pray properly and you don't seek God properly and you don't carry the burden, even though the message is ingrained in your head that I must care, it's easy to give up a ministry that involves yourself a lot, that, that demands much commitment and gravitate toward another ministry where you can be used, but it doesn't require as much involvement and as much care. And this is what I've seen happen to a lot of you. It's happened to me. It's happened to a lot of Christians that I've pastored. After a while, they want to give up something like the bus ministry, and then what they'd like to do is just, just drive. Now, driving is a monumental task, but it, you, you don't have to do anything to drive other than come in early and get the bus started and, and such. In other words, it's not like where you have to come and pray and seek God at an altar, 
You get rid of a lot of fears because you're going out on Saturday knocking doors, teaching a Bible study to someone, so you've got to sharpen up your mind so that you know the Scripture and go through the manuals and such. And so after a while they're driving. Then after that, then what they usually want to do is is uh, discharge all responsibility from this ministry and then what I'd like to do is work in the Sunday school. Now, please understand, every ministry is needed. And if you are really a committed driver, it's more than just showing up. It's maintaining that bus and making sure that it it is always in a good state of repair, making sure that gasoline is in it. There's a, The services that you can render toward driving are unlimited, but you can get by like we did when we hired a driver. When our bus was, when we ordered our bus, we could, you know, you could just show up in time to go out and come in and let it go. Somebody has to sweep the bus. Somebody has to clean up the bus. In the past, we had rules and regulations. I don't know who's doing it now, but it was the drivers. They did it and get them involved a little bit more. So Sunday school teachers, they really do have to involve themselves. That is, if you have success. But you could get by by just picking up your quarterly. Some of you have taught the story of David and Goliath enough that you could just, if somebody told you, they could call you 10 minutes before church and said, there's lessons on David and Goliath, and you could walk in that Sunday school room and teach that. Now, that doesn't mean the Holy Ghost is going to flow through you. It doesn't mean the anointing of God is going to rest upon you. It doesn't mean children are going, children are going to be convicted. It doesn't mean any of that. But you could do it. And uh, then uh, your involvement would be, and your commitment would not be, what it needs to be. Now, maybe I'm not making myself plain. But you see, what's happening here is, when you see this happen to yourself, is that, that, that the burden that goes out to the lost, and the concern of the lost is, all of this, see, is being reverted around. It's like you take the cross and you break the arms and you turn them around, and what do you have? You have the German Nazi swastika sign, where everything evolves around the center. The cross, the arms reach out, symbolic of God reaching out to the lost. And and what's happening now is that, that the concern and the care is not for the lost, but the concern and the care is for me because I don't want to be as involved as I was in the past and I can do this without caring. And so as a result, uh, what I can do is go in and, and minister on Sunday morning with this clear message in my mind that I must be committed and I must care. But the truth of the matter is, after a while, the main purpose in the ministry is to take care of who? Can anybody guess? You. This is the reason why that I have seen people uh, I have seen people go from working on the streets, working on the campus, working on the buses, all the way through Sunday school, and the last time they ever came to church 
is when they handed their key in after a Sunday school class and and they, they backslid. I mean, they were backslidden when they did it, but see what they did? They taught up until the day they said, I'm not coming to church anymore. Now, I can, I can say this. I don't know of a case where somebody was working every Saturday. Someone was working every Sunday on the buses that came in and says, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. I don't know of a case, brother. Why? Because that person, his caring was not for himself. His caring was for others. Now, there's teaching Sunday school is a high caliber first class ministry. If you make it then. You follow what I'm saying? See, but see, there was a time. Let me explain something now. And I, you, this, I don't want this to sound like pick on Sunday school teachers. You know, I, I hope our Sunday school teachers get the message. There was a time if you were a Sunday school teacher, you had to commit yourself verbally, and then you had to sign a covenant. And we we had all kinds of standards that you had to meet. You had to come early for prayer, and you had to make sure your room was clean, and you had to you had to visit every week. All of the absentees, every person that wasn't in your class. I mean, you had to go visit them. We're not talking about telephone calls. We're talking about visits. Now, when it was that way, we didn't have a whole lot of people lined up saying, I want to teach. Did you know this is the first time in the history of Calvary Gospel Church that we have people lined up that want in classes and we can't, we don't have enough room for everybody to teach. Well, we're having to beg for Sunday school bus workers. You follow what I'm saying? You get a jail ministry going that requires time, involvement, and commitment. You know who usually wants to work in in the jail ministry? Can I tell you? Not professional Christians like Pastor Grant. So I'm picking on myself too. It's usually some new convert. Do you know that? I don't know if you knew that or not. You know who usually likes to get involved in campus ministry? Usually it's some new convert. The thing that we have to guard ourselves constantly in in this business of church and dealing with people, we have to guard ourselves against making ourselves the focal point point of our ministry. Where we care more about ourselves than we care about others. Now please understand, Sunday school teachers, I, I'm not picking on you. And we have teachers that have been in there for years and years and years and they're dedicated, they're hardworking, they're praying, and they're caring. Some of you have cried for someone to help you. We do have a lot of people that are lined up and they want to teach, but I think what we're going to have to do, I think we're going to have to look at the overall program of all of our ministries to find out if we are really targeting in on the target that Jesus Christ 
aimed at and hit so solidly, we could call it he hit the bullseye, when his whole life was aimed at others. I think some of us have turned our goals toward ourselves and we're aimed at ourselves. And we're hitting ourselves. See? There are some ministries, even though they are very important, that you could get by on less than you could in other ministries. You know, if you're singing, and that's no reflection on anyone who sings, but if you're singing and you have a good voice, you could just run in here, pick up a book, and sing without praying, sing without practicing, sing without doing anything. If you're a preacher and you've been preaching for a long time, you could pick up your Bible and open it, and then preach without studying, without praying. So I kid people every now and then. I said, well, if you'll do this, I'll do your job if you'll preach for me. And oh, no, Brother Grant. You know, I, you know, because to you, preaching is a monumental chore. You know the reason why it is? Because if you preach, you'd have to study and you'd have to pray. But it is possible that you could do it for so long. I've stood before congregations much larger than this. In fact, I have in some camp meetings in which they, the superintendents requested, have, have a question and answer session. And I have stood there and had question and answer session. Just ask any question about the Bible you want to ask. You may say, how could you be that confident? Because I've reached a point where I know that there are questions that I don't, answers I don't have. And once you reach that point, you don't get nervous about it, you feel very secure in telling people, I don't know the answer to that. But on the other hand, I certainly wouldn't agree unless I felt I could answer most people's questions. <clears throat> I just feel that we need revival, and we have been praying for revival, and we have been talking about caring. But we're we're going to have to put some legs on this on these prayers, and we're going to have to we're going to have to recommit ourselves. Really, you know what you can do when 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 it's eighty five degrees and the sun's shining, and everything's bright. You can zip along in your car and pop your bubble gum and look at the cows out in the field, not pay any attention. But let me tell you something: when there's a storm like this, you're going to glue yourself to that wheel. And you're going to get your foot right close to the brake pedal. You're ready to stop. You're ready to start. You're going to pay attention to what you're doing. And the storms of life are upon this world, and we need to commit ourselves as if we're driving through a storm that we can make it if we'll pay attention. We can make it if we care enough. We can make it if if we'll focus in enough. But if we don't, We'll end up someplace in a ditch having a wreck. I talked to all of our leaders and explained this very thing to them. Really. Because I and I'm not picking on leaders either, but I'm part of this, see. Sometimes we meet and talk about something a lot longer than it takes to do that. Now that would be true in a lot of cases. But but a lot of times I think if we just come in here with all the projects that we have and just sit down here and do it and explain to everybody while we're doing it, when we got done, 90% of the work would be finished. And we could all go home saying, this is, this is finished. But see, we, one sign, one sign of, of 
of an under-commitment is you'd rather talk about it than do it. You've got to talk about some things. There are many things in life you could talk about a lot longer than what it really takes to do it, and that's necessary. But Jesus said, He that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him to a man that built his house upon a rock. Building your house upon the rock is your ability to hear something and do what? Do it. That's what he was saying. So the rock is your ability to do what you know you need to do. Praise God. We're going to have you to stand. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer for Brother Reagan. Really, we need to pray for Brother Reagan. Brother Reagan bought a ticket. He didn't know how he could go see his dad. And Sister Sharon's been so sick. And he was praying because he felt this special burden. He told me, he said, Brother Grant, I've got to go see my dad before my dad passes away. That I'm real concerned. But what am I going to do with Sharon? I said, Brother Reagan, we'll pray about it. Would you believe that a pastor that Brother Reagan preached a revival for 20-something years ago, and he's had no contact with this man, sent him a letter, and then that letter was enough money for him to buy a ticket to go see his dad. He said, I've got the ticket, and I've got to go see my dad. Well, naturally, Brother Reagan, when his dad passed away, and he was supposed to leave out Tuesday, he was so heartbroken. He just felt like he'd kind of <coughs> failed his dad. When he started to church Sunday night, he had to pull over the side of the road because he was taking it so hard he almost fainted. And he couldn't drive. Well, they're having his funeral tomorrow. I think what we need to do is lift up Brother Reagan prayer. I know we prayed a lot for Sister Reagan. It's so hard on her and so difficult. But Brother Reagan has had a monumental <coughs> responsibility. And to compound this with the death of his dad, he needs our prayers. Let's go to the Lord in prayer for Brother Reagan. Oh, God of heaven.